Hey, this is Sean Tepper, the host of Payback Time, an approachable and transparent podcast on financial independence. I'd like to bring on guests who hear authentic stories while giving you actionable takeaways you can use today. Let's go. My next guest is a lifetime athlete who applies the same strategies of losing weight and getting in shape to building wealth. It's all about celebrating the small inputs and not dwelling on the final results. The problem is that most people go into a goal focused on the results, which is why they fail. If you want to lose weight, you need to focus on consistent daily steps and celebrate when you complete those steps. The same is true for building your wealth. You need to establish small milestones and celebrate when you reach those milestones. Mindset is a topic we don't talk about often enough on this show, but in this case, my next guest breaks it down. Please welcome Chad Hufford. Chad, welcome to the show. John, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining me. So why don't you kick us off and tell us about your background? Well, I have kind of an indirect background, I think, for for somebody running a, a wealth management practice. I grew up in athletics, uh, had a pretty diverse athletic background, got into coaching and working with professional athletes, Olympic athletes. Somewhere in between there, I got a biochemistry degree. So I've got kind of a scattered path, but it, it's really coalesced into what I've been doing for the past 16, 17 years and that's coaching investors, it's coaching individuals to uh, forge financial freedom and create a life of abundance. Let's back up a little bit here because I'm big into athletics as well. What sports did you play? What what were you into? So I grew up playing basketball, baseball, and football. And everybody's like, well, you live in Alaska. You didn't hockey, do hockey or skiing. And I love being warm. I love the sun. I was born in the wrong spot and just never moved. So I loved baseball, basketball, football. Those were my things growing up, um, especially basketball. And that was something, at least up here, you could do year round. So that was that was a, a really nice sport for Alaska, especially for Alaskans who don't want to be out in the cold. Um, I went to college and because I quit growing when I was 11, basketball was kind of out. I was 5'10". I stuck was stuck there. Uh, so I walked on the track team, I did track in college, uh, just had some, you know, natural athleticism, but most, mostly a work ethic. I, I even told the the coach, I was like, Hey, I want to walk on this. Is what I want to do. I'm not going to be the best at anything, but I'll work as hard as anybody you have. And then when I got out of college, I just, you know, how it is, Sean, you have that competitive drive. And mm-hmm. my wife was like, you need to find something because like people don't even like playing cards or monopoly with you. So, you know, Start, start doing something. So I started working with some UFC fighters and started getting into mixed martial arts and combatives. And, and that was that was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed that. Did some strongman competitions. And now with our kids, they're getting into some of these things. So coaching my son's football team right now, trying to get the kids into some jujitsu, mixed martial arts, because I miss it. It's something that it kind of got to that point where you're trying to find that balance in life. Sean, you know how it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're running a business. You're trying to take care of your own health. And I just didn't want one more thing to take away from my family. So quit doing the the mixed martial arts, uh, you know, 10 plus years ago. And now the kids are starting to get interested in, in it. So it, it'll be something that I'll add back into my life here pretty soon. Sure. Right on. No, I, I, I love the context there on your athletic background. I always appreciate talking to athletes. 
Um, there's just a, there's a certain vigor there. You hit the pain points and you just keep driving through. You figure out a way to get through it. And it's just, it's innate, you could say. Um, jumping to your company, I'm on your website here. It's uh, Veritas. It's just uh, VeritasAlaska.com for the listeners out there. This is your wealth management practice. When did you start this company? 2007, right before the financial meltdown. <laughs> Perfect timing. Perfect timing. I had a kid on the way. I had I gave up uh, a six-figure coaching business and right yeah, right before the biggest financial collapse. So my timing was impeccable. Right on. Well, you probably helped some people make a lot of money if you advised them into some stocks or funds and the market took off in 2009. Probably did very well. Yeah, but but you, you know if you remember what was happening during that time, the fear was so strong for so long. Even in 2011, 2012, we were long past the bottom, but the news was still awful. So people were were really living in a scarcity and still do live in a scarcity mindset. And that's why I mentioned you know living a life of abundance because it isn't just about money. And in fact, I've sat down with with people worth ten million dollars that still are so worried about losing their money, they haven't thought about how to use their money. And it, there was just this overwhelming sense of anxiety and scarcity. And like I said, it still exists today. We still see it. But what I learned, and this is why my coaching background was so important, is you know we have to change perspectives. We have to change how people look at things because giving somebody investment strategy and a financial plan doesn't make them wealthy any more than giving somebody a gym membership makes them a great athlete. Right. It's about execution. It's about persistence. It's like you said, it's about driving through those difficult times and like, hey, this is what you said you wanted. Here's the steps necessary to get there. Here's what's going to take. Are you still committed? Can you sacrifice to get to the level of success that you said was important to you? Sure. Before we hit record, we talked about mindsets, and I really want the focus of this episode to be there. Um, for context, I've had a lot of people on the show that are wealth managers, financial advisors, and we do talk about the products or strategies they use. And that's nice. I actually enjoy those conversations, but I haven't had too many conversations on mindset. So let's drill into that. Like When you first start working with a new customer, are there certain, I wouldn't say red flags, but maybe you could tell there's some some areas where I need to coach them that jump out that seem to be common denominators from one customer to another? Yes. So the red flags is a great way to put it because they're, they're signs. Just if you, if you were sitting in front of a doctor and you were they were going through some things, there's going to be triggers or symptoms they're looking for like, wow, okay, this, this could be there could be something a lot deeper going on here. So we listen for fear-based language. We listen for people who are always the victim. And I, and I realize like there are difficult circumstances in life, but there are people who experience life as it happens to them. And there's period, people that experience life as it happens for them. And those are the types of things we listen to. So if people come in and like, yeah, you know, my the stock market lost me a bunch of money and my boss doesn't like me and my 401k sucks and this and that and they're the world's out to get them. That's a huge red flag. If we list people like, yeah, you know what? I lost a lot of money back in 2008, 2009 because I got panicked and I was scared and we hear them taking ownership and responsibility even if they don't know what the right thing was, but they realize they made a mistake. Like they don't know they didn't know what to do but they acknowledge they messed up. 
those are those green lights that we listen for. Like, okay, this is somebody who's taking accountability for their past mistakes and taking accountability for the, the path that they're they're on. So the a sense of agency is something we also listen to. Uh, a lot of times people focus so much on what they can't control that they lose sight of what they can control. And we listen for that, you know, so people who are focused on variables and elements they have no influence over, that can be really disempowering because you're basically telling yourself that I can't do anything about this. I'm waiting for the economy to turn around. I'm waiting for my boss to give me a promotion. I'm waiting for magic fairies to come around, eliminate my debt, whatever. But people who feel like they they cannot act on their future, they just have to wait for things to fall into place. Uh, so those are, those are some of the things that we listen for and look for. Sure. Let's say a, a new prospect. They're not a customer yet, but they're a new prospect. They have these, these red flags, these warning signs, that fear-based scarcity mindset, um, placing blame on external factors, not you know taking ownership. How do you coach them through this? What do you say to them? So we ask a lot of questions and we allow them to unpack that and getting them to talk about what that experience was like and what would they have done differently. So I'll just give you an example of somebody who says the stock market lost them a lot of money back in 2008 or 2009 or, or 2020 or whatever, and just say, okay, so you know, back in 2008, the stock market peaked at uh, just under 1600, the S&P 500 peaked at just under 1600. It's down right now, but it's still over 4,000. So how did the stock market lose you money when it's increased so much since that day? And see if they can even tell the error or, or discover the error in their, their own ways. And some people might change and pivot right there. Realize, well, okay, it didn't lose me money, but I got scared. I panicked out. Um, but we want people to get to is again, that ownership, the accountability, not to poke them and say, look, you screwed up, you're bad, right. you're done, yep. you're stupid. But again, just to take that ownership, because what we want to do is restore that sense of agency. Even if they made the mistake and they're the ones that screwed up, there's still, there's power in that because it reminds them they could have done something differently and next time they will, right? I'm the type of person who learns from mistakes. That's a very important part of identity. We want people to take that on. Yes, I've made mistakes. I'm human, but I'm going to learn from those things. Yeah. I'm not going to repeat the mistakes. So we, we try to get them to there, but we also try to get them to think about the problem differently, to not look at this as, it just use this, we already count on the stock market example, but See if they can determine a difference between a temporary decline and a permanent loss. So an, an analogy that we will give people is, let's say, let's say wealth is an orchard and you've been planting for trees for 20, 30 years. If the, the value of trees temporarily goes down 15, 20%, let's say you started out with 100 acres of trees worth a million dollars. The value of your trees have just gone down 15%. How many trees do you have left? How many acres of trees do you have left? Some people work on the math equation and other people realize, well, I still have 100 acres of trees. I haven't lost anything. Mm -hmm. The only way I lose money is by cut down my trees and sell them. The other question we'll ask people is, if your, your orchard is temporarily devalued in the moment, does that change how much fruit they can produce over a lifetime? So it's getting them to look at an old problem in a new way and to see if that changes their perspective on things. And it doesn't. Some people have never been taught the right way to look at things. And, and once you can kind of walk them through that, they'll change their perspective. 
but other folks are bound and determined to blame somebody else, yes. somebody else's fault. And what's so destructive about that, Sean, is that when it's somebody else's fault, then there's nothing you can do to change it. Yeah. If you know, if we're business partners and it's always your fault, then I'm helpless. If you're causing all the problems in the then I'm helpless. But if you're causing 80% of the problems, I'm causing 20, then I still have 20% of the problem that I can work on. And there's something really empowering about that. But when people are always or often shifting the blame, shifting responsibility to somebody else and shifting fault to somebody else, it slowly gives away their agency. It slowly gives away their power. And another thing we want to remind people is, you know, you may have gotten bad advice. You may have been, you may have been raised by people who made terrible financial decisions. You had terrible modeling. It's not your fault that any of that happened. It is your responsibility to change it though. Yeah. And, and being able to differentiate fault and responsibility. I'm not, not beating somebody up because you've made mistakes, not beating you up because of circumstances you're in. It may, it may or may not be your fault, but it absolutely is your responsibility to change the future going forward. Sure. I like how you, you phrase the question. So they, uh, you try to get them to look at things from a different perspective. That's that's really smart. That probably ties back to your coaching days in athletics. You, you know, being an athlete, and I remember these days when I was uh, more in sports, coaches like teachable athletes. Mm -hmm. There may be good athletes, but the headstrong ones that don't want to learn are sometimes the worst athletes to work with. And I'm sure it's the same for customers, you being a financial advisor trying to talk to those people, give them perspective, and they won't give an inch. It's like, should we be working together? That's the question that would come up next for me. And that's ultimately what we're looking for is coachability. Who is willing to yeah. do something different? If you don't like the results with, with what you've been doing so far, you have to be willing to do something different, do something new, learn something new. And it, that sounds so simple, but you, you, you probably wouldn't be surprised. But it's amazing how many people are like, this is what I've been doing. I want to keep doing it. And they're really not coming to me for advice. They're coming to us for affirmation. They want to pat yes. on the back and say, I know it's not working. It's been frustrating. It's, but just keep doing it. Something will magically turn around. So if, if you're not happy with the results of what you've been doing, you should probably look for some new solutions. But it's amazing how many people don't want to do that. They just somehow want what hasn't been working to somehow work better if they just do more of it. It's like, it's like, it's like finding out you're driving your car in the wrong direction and your solution is, well, I should just go faster. I should, I, you know, I just need more horsepower. You know, I just, I just need to, to, to do more of what already isn't working and somehow it's going to magically turn this around. Our government hasn't figured this out. Well, we spent billions of dollars on this thing. It hasn't worked. Let's spend a few billion more and then maybe it'll Why magically not? turn around. Yeah. You know, but that's typically how a lot of human beings think. And if we can shift them out of that, and a lot of times, again, it's it's getting to look at an old problem in a new light. And, and to your point about athletes, you know, um, it's not necessarily the ones who are the most gifted, the most talented athletes, the biggest, the strongest that succeed long term. That stuff gets you to a certain point. But when you get into college or especially professional athletes, everybody's gifted. Everybody has amazing natural talent. Now you look at effort and intentionality to differentiate people. And, and it's the same thing in building financial freedom. You know, if you want to get to a place where you no, no longer need a paycheck, doesn't mean you quit working, doesn't mean you shut it down, but you get to a place where you no longer need your job, your business, your career to make ends meet and to have a comfortable life. 
a lot of people think, well, I need to be a doctor, a lawyer. I need, you know, a, a celebrity. I need to be making hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars a year to do that. I I talk to people that make multiple six figures, five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars a year that still live paycheck to paycheck because their actions, their behavior is incorrect. If you give somebody who is a bad manager of their finances more money, it makes a bad problem worse. Yeah, it's again, it, it's like it's like giving a bad driver more horsepower. It it just amplifies the issue. But on the other side of the scale, we have folks that make under hundred thousand dollars a year that are multimillionaires. It took a lot of time, took a lot of patience. There wasn't one quick thing. They didn't, you know, magically buy some you know, fly by night stock and make millions of dollars. It was that it's orchard that grew. Yeah. That, that orchard that grows slowly over time. They just showed up every day, kept planting trees and good weather, bad weather and droughts and storms. And they just consistently did what most people do can only occasionally. And so I, I'm not kidding. We have, we work with folks that never made a hundred thousand dollars a year and are multimillionaires. And they just did it with slow and steady plotting. So it's not, it's not how much money you make. It's what you do with it that really matters. Yeah. There's a lot of self-discipline there because people, as they increase their income, even if it's by a little bit, there's the temptation to now spend on things that don't have an ROI, whether yep. it's that nice new car, taking more trips or buying more things, more stuff that sit in your house and collect dust. Um, if you can have the discipline to say no to those things, not all of it. I know Dave Ramsey, I got to point a finger here. I mean, he's got some strategies that work for like burning down debt, but this whole concept of like not spending and not enjoying what I, I don't agree with. <laughs> I, I like playing a lot of golf and golf is not cheap, but anyway, with the discipline of doing things consistently, you nailed it. It's like, I've seen people in my network too, that same thing. They haven't made a fortune from one year to the next with a salary, but they have a huge net worth because they have the discipline to be consistent and they keep their spending relatively under control. Yeah. And it is that intentionality. Intentionality mixed with discipline, right? So you're absolutely right with with spending under control. That's what, that's what gets people in trouble is for people that do have high earning potential, their spending gradually catches up with their income. And we say, you know, spending habits like a goldfish, they will grow to whatever size enclosure that you put them in. The bigger the enclosure, the bigger the fish gets, the more that your spending habits will consume. But the other thing too is, you know, when it when it comes to again that that discipline and and that patience, we do have to be willing to live a little bit differently. You know, if you want to get a result that other people aren't getting, you do have to say no to some things. You do have to make some short term temporary sacrifices. They're not forever. And one of the things that that people I think often get misconstrued is they look at a wealthy person and they see what that wealthy person is doing and they confuse the habits that got them there with the things that they're doing because they're wealthy. So th there might be certain things that, that you notice wealthy people doing, but that's what they do because they're wealthy. Those weren't the things that got them to be wealthy. Right. So driving a BMW or Mercedes doesn't make you wealthy. You get to do that. You get to write a check for a Mercedes once you are wealthy. But driving fancy cars is a terrible way to get wealthy. Um, it's a nice way to spend wealth, but you know, you see what I mean? Like, I mean, it, mm -hmm. it, it, people often look at what somebody's able to do now and think, well, that's what got them there. Yeah. And being able to separate that is, is really important because 
because I, I do think people can get that confused. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Let's take a quick commercial break. Hey, this is a quick heads up that we have a second podcast titled Top Stocks. With Top Stocks podcast, I talk about investing, business, and finance. The audio content is published on your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple, Spotify, Google, or Amazon. And the video content is published on the Ticker YouTube channel. So you can either watch or listen to each episode. These episodes are just me, so no interviews. And the overall goal is to help you become a better investor. Go ahead and look up Top Stocks podcast or check out the Ticker YouTube channel. All right, back to the show. You know, I've seen people out there who take on the mindset of you got to fake it till you make it. So they start with the expensive cars, the expensive suits, expensive watches to look the part, expecting that will manifest wealth into their life. And that's a big mistake a lot of people make. It's like, no, there's, there's fundamental principles. You back the card up and they actually did things to get to that point, like you just phrased, you know, keeping their finances under control, being consistent with investing. We have issues within our community where you'll get an investor who will buy stocks and then they'll wait two months, three months, four months, and then they'll buy their second stock or second batch of stock. It's like, uh-uh, that's not going to work. You have to be consistent every month. If you're in wealth building mode, you can't be skipping months. You get to stick right. to this over months and over years. So with an advisor like you, you can kind of, you can stay on them. Whereas we have a software platform. I'm not an advisor, don't have plans to be, we don't have certification. So we give them the tools and give them the education. They're really taking that on themselves. And I see that where people come back, well, I bought my last stock in July and here we are in October. I'm like, what did you do between then and now? Well, was, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I'm not sure about the markets, right? All the excuses in the world come up. Well, and this, the other thing too is, yeah, you, you bring up this idea of timing and there's never a perfect time to sacrifice for the future. And that's what we're doing. Like we're paying our future self. And because we haven't met our future selves, I'm sure future Sean is very nice and handsome, but um, because we haven't met that person, there's this intangible relationship. So paying our future, paying into our future can feel like a cost in the moment. So in order to be able to do that consistently, we have to build those habits and it can't be based on feelings. It can't be based on, oh, I feel like putting my money into these mutual funds, or I feel like investing in this real estate, or I feel like getting up early and going for a run in the dark. It's you just making those decisions beforehand in advance. This is what I do. And, and the nice thing about investing is a lot of times we can automate those through our 401k, through automatic contributions, money's taken out, just like your mortgage payment, beginning of every month goes into an investment, or maybe just going into a a fund, you know, maybe it's it's seed money for a real estate purchase in the future. But automating those good habits, I think, is really, really critical because there are some days, months, weeks where we don't feel like doing the right thing. So a big part of building a great future is creating good habits. And it's those small little building blocks. I think the quality of somebody's life is often dictated by the quality of their habits. But if we can make those habits easier. If we kind of grease the wheels a little bit, it doesn't have to be as difficult. Right. But let's drill into that a little more. How do you coach somebody to that mindset where something that was once difficult is now easier? Maybe it's uh, 
the concept or not the concept, the strategy of saving or investing more? How, give us an example there. How do you get them in that point? Because I know the listeners right now, they're wondering, how do I make something difficult easy? So one of the things is removing the obstacles, right? So if I'm, we've already talked about athletics. So if I'm trying to get in better shape, right? I want to remove the obstacles. So I'm not going to keep a bunch of ice cream and, and beer in my fridge and freezer, right? So I, I'm making the difficult path harder because now if it's nine o'clock at night, I'm sitting down and watching TV. I have to go to the store to go get beer and potato chips. And the other side of that would be, I'm going to load up on, you know, healthy fruits and vegetables or high quality protein or something like that. I'm going to stock my fridge with that. So I don't have to go to the store to buy those things when I'm hungry. It's just, you know, for some people it might be pre-making their meals like one or two days a week. They just make a bunch of meals. So when they are hungry, when they're tempted by, okay, I want, you know, I want to go out and get tacos or McDonald's or something like that. But I've got my broccoli and chicken sitting right here. I just need to pop it in the microwave. It's really easy. So that that's just one example. From a financial standpoint, though, removing obstacles, you know, if you're struggling with spending too much, you know, you're not living within your means. Amazon makes it so easy to spend money. You just have to unplug some of those things. Um, remove your credit cards from all these different websites, from, you know, Google Chrome, where it remembers all your info. Like, do you want to buy this? Okay, you know, yeah. click this button. It inputs all your stuff. Like, our society has made it so easy for us to spend money that we don't have, to buy things we don't need, to impress people we don't even like. Mm -hmm. So if we can make that process a little bit difficult, a little bit more difficult, it makes doing the right thing a little bit easier. I already talked about automating investment strategies, you know, uh, automating your investment plan. Look, for, so you have a 401k at work, you know, go in there and, and have it automatically taken out of your paycheck and tell your HR every few months, bump it up. Every time I get a raise, take half that raise, put it in my 401k before I'm used to that money, just making some of those small habits. Another thing we do, and this is more of a, of a mindset thing than a habit thing, but getting people to see what they're doing now in light of their future goals. So we think of this as kind of like a blueprint, Sean. Uh, first of all, there's a lot of people out there that call themselves investors that really don't have a goal for what they're building towards. They, they, they know they don't, don't want to have to work forever. They know they want to quit their corporate job, but they don't know what that end goal looks like. They don't know what their life would look like if they never had to work again. They don't know how much money it would take as far as monthly income goes to be able to give up their job. So one of the first things we do is get really clear about what that goal is. Like, what do you want your life to look like and how much would it cost every month to live without a paycheck? Like, what would you need showing up your checking account? Because what that does, Sean, is it gives us a strategic objective to work towards. So now we're not just collecting investments, we're strategically building towards a desired objective. And a, a lot of the people that we talk to don't really have a strategy. They're just collecting investments. Mm. They're, which means that they're being pushed and pulled by market trends and by what their brother-in-law says or what some guy at the water cooler said. Like they're, they're, they're following everybody else's path because they don't have their own. So if we can take a specific meaningful goal and then reverse engineer it, so let's say, hey, I want a passive income of $8,000 a month, $100,000 a year by 55. We can reverse engineer that process from where they are to where they want to be and break down those steps. So now they got this goal where they might need several million dollars of net worth to produce that income, which is such a big goal. 
but can we break that down to monthly chunks? So this is where you want to be at 55. This is the pathway, but here's what a win looks like in October. Here's what a win looks like in November. And now, now you've brought the future into today. You've broken down this big, huge lifetime goal into what do I need to accomplish this month to stay on track? And it gives them a milestone along a much longer marathon of a path. But the biggest thing I think is it gives them something to celebrate. Every month yeah. has a win attached to it. Because as we talked about, this is hard. It's it's a long process. It can be exhausting. It can be lonely. A lot of people aren't going to be on this with you. So if you can set up little victories along the way, it's easier to stay persistent. It's easier to stay disciplined. It's easier to stay patient. It will never be easy, but these are all ways to make it easier. Yeah, that's that's smart. I like how you made it relatable to somebody who wants to get in shape. I've been in the fitness space for most of my life, and I do run into people that they'll be on it for like a month or two months, three months, and it's a lonely journey. And then they start falling off. They don't create those short wins. Um, get rid of the the temptations. I like that. Get rid of the ice cream and potato chips and beer. <laughs> you know, it's like you create stuff like that, those little steps, those little milestones that can make a big difference to achieve those goals. Same thing in finance, what we're just talking about here. So great comments, great advice. Well, and, and you think about it, you know, somebody who's, somebody's trying to get into shape it's hard to be patient because you're putting in the work you, let's say you, you've you haven't worked out in 20 years you're at least not consistently you're starting a workout you you don't feel better right away the people your trainer tells you you're going to feel more energy you're going to get stronger all that stuff is true but that's not what happens initially initially you're exhausted you're tired you're sore you're sweaty your heart rate's up it feels like you're allergic to the treadmill like it's not easy, but you've got to get over that hump. So if you can set up victories along the way, and a lot of times what we try to do is get people to focus on inputs, not outcomes. So Sean, if, if your goal is to add 25 pounds to your bench press over the next year, that's a measurable specific goal. That's a great start, but you can't just snap your fingers and make that happen. So what are the inputs? Well, I can work on my flexibility this many days a week. I can work on chest exercises, this many reps a week, I can, you know, work on uh, adding this much protein to my diet, all, the, all those are inputs, those are things that we can control. And, and too often, we are so focused on the outcome, that we miss the inputs that we have agency over. And we have to celebrate our wins differently. So for that person who's trying to get into shape, showing up at the gym three days a week, that's the win, you know, we're, we're not going to undo 20 pounds of not working out and forcing butter and sugar into our mouths in two weeks. But we can count those victories. Okay, I showed up at the gym 12 times this month. That's 12 times. It maybe, maybe it's not the 15 that I was shooting for, but it's 12 times more than I showed up last month, you know? And, and figure out how to, to celebrate little wins, little victories along the way. And, and a lot of times in life, again, this is not just finance, a lot of times in life, we celebrate the outcome. We celebrate when we do lose 20. We celebrate when we're able to retire. We're, we celebrate when we do pay off the house, but we also need to reward the inputs. We need to reward the steps along the way they'll eventually get us there because otherwise we burn out. It's hard to stay motivated for a long period of time. And the, the last point I want to make on this is why consistency matters so much. So you can build wealth, but then if you lose consistency, if you stop doing the things, and, and 
not everything. You can have a little bit more fun when you've when you've paid off all your debt and you have you have a, a couple million dollars. Like you can relax a little bit. You can enjoy, take a little bit longer vacations, a little bit more golf, but you still can't take your foot off the pedal. You still have to maintain those habits because Sean, you and I have both talked to so many people who have built wealth and they quit doing the, the things that got them there. They quit executing and it gradually eroded away. And we see the same thing with health, right? Look at professional athletes, somebody who you know was a star running back, a star wide receiver, championship NBA player. You look at them now, you're like, I cannot believe that you were ever a professional athlete. You've let yourself go because they stopped doing all the things that yeah. got them there. So I think health and finance have so many parallels because it does. it's a lifetime commitment, Sean, as you know. And we have to look at what's doing sustainable over the long run rather than what is maybe optimal in the moment. Because yeah. that's what gets people in trouble sometimes. They try to optimize before they standardize. Right on. I'm going to transition here to the rapid fire round, but a really strong key takeaway, even for myself as a reminder, is to reward the inputs, not the results. Sure, you can reward the results, but place more emphasis on those inputs because that keeps you consistent. That keeps us all consistent, whether it's building wealth or getting into better shape or getting that golf score below 80, which is a topic for another day. <laughs> so I, I just I love it. I just quit after nine holes. That's the easiest way for me to keep my golf score below 80. <laughs> right on. Hey, we got to play our strengths, right? Exactly. Golf is not, but you would lose all, all respect for me if you watch me play golf. <laughs> too many, too many years playing baseball. I have a baseball swing and my golf swing. It's, it's pathetic, Sean. It's just really bad. Probably a bit of a slice. We could work on that. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I love the, the combination here between finance, health and fitness. That's my jam. This has been great. All right. Let's transition to the rapid fire round. This is the part of the episode where we get to find out who Chad really is. If you can, try to answer each question in 15 seconds or less. You ready? I'm ready. All right. So what is your favorite podcast? Right now, it is probably Psychology of Money um, or the Morgan Housel podcast. I, it's not actually called Psychology of Money, but he's the author of Psychology of Money. And it's a once a week podcast, about 15 minutes. Uh, Morgan Housel. It's fantastic. Awesome. All right. What is a recent book you read and would recommend? Atomic Habits. I just read it and finished it for the fourth time. We actually got into a lot of those principles today. It, From a practical life change aspect, it is phenomenal. Like, uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. All right. What is your favorite movie? Braveheart. Good choice. Freedom. Yeah. Right. right? William Wallace was right. Freedom. All right, a few business questions here. What is the worst business advice or advice in general that you ever received? I think worst business advice is capitalizing too early and going into debt to, to fund a business and taking on unnecessary risk. I hear that a lot. And it's not just a financial issue. It actually messes up people's psychology. It, it increases the fear factor. It increases anxiety. And I think it leads to people making more knee-jerk emotional decisions because they have this, this burden of debt on their shoulders. So, Amen. Amen. Yeah, totally agree. All right, flip that equation. What is the best advice you ever received? It's what we already talked about. Manage inputs and outcomes will take care of themselves. So right. I started this business doing a lot of prospecting calls and, you know, jumping out of the bushes at somebody and saying, hey, Sean, you just met me. You don't know me. 
we're in the middle of a financial crisis. How would you like to entrust your your family's life savings to me? Not a conversation that goes super well all the time, right? People are like, what? Who in the world would get paid for me, weirdo? Yeah. So I had to count the wins as how many people I approached and offered my, my advice to, offered my services to, rather than how many appointments I made, how many new clients I got, all the things that people in my profession usually measure. Those are the outcomes. What I learned to do is celebrate and reward the inputs. How many people can I put myself in front of? How many times can I risk my own rejection and an ego by saying, Sean, here's what I do. Here's how I can help you. Are you willing or are you interested in joining in that relationship with me? And yeah, managing inputs and let the out, letting the outcomes take care of themselves. Brilliant. All right. And last question. Here's a time machine question. If you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit and what would you say? It would probably be 19. And I had a very traumatic life event. Um, should have been it for me. This should have been lights out. Um, and I was very angry. And it took me a long time for me to realize that I was given a new lease on life, even though I'd, I'd lost some things that were going to take some time to recover, that... Um, it was really a, a potentially new beginning, a new chapter for me. And I was I was looking at what I thought I had lost instead of the opportunities I had been given. Good perspective. All right. And where can the audience reach you? And mention whether it's a website, LinkedIn, but I also understand you have a book. So why don't you tell us about the book real quick here as well? Well, the book, Sean, is called Forging Financial Freedom. And if your audience visits forgingfinancialfreedom.com, um, they can put in their their contact info. And what we'll do for your audience, we'll we'll give them access to the uh, the Kindle pre-release. For I think Amazon makes us charge like ninety nine cents for it. We can't give away for free, but we'll give it to them for ninety nine cents. But it's it's a really it's about a lot. We talk the mindsets and perspectives necessary to execute. The, the tools and tactics long enough to build wealth, to create financial freedom, to, to build financial independence. So yeah, forgingfinancialfreedom.com is where you can get more info on that. Our website is veritasalaska.com. You can also find us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and, and LinkedIn. Awesome. All right, Chad. Well, thank you so much for your time. This is great. Sean, it was a great conversation. Had a lot of fun and it was uh, an honor and privilege to be here. Awesome. All right. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Thank you. Hey, I'd like to say thank you for checking out this podcast. I know there's a lot of other podcasts you could be listening to. So thanks for spending some time with me. Also, if you have a moment, could you please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? The more reviews we get, the more Apple will share this podcast with the world. So thanks for doing that. And last thing, if you do hear any stocks mentioned on this podcast, please keep in mind, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do not make a buy or sell decision based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks for your time. We'll talk to you later. See ya.